Hey friends, it feels like we're in California here in Portland, Oregon, and uh, we are in the front yard with our beautiful, beautiful barking dog, just to remind you uh, that this is a real human being uh, with his real human family and his real human dog um, in interacting with uh, the, the world that we're in. Today, for our show, we're going to talk about dreams. I recently did something uh, with what we called a dream book with my middle school kids, and I thought it was such a fun experiment that I wanted to talk to you about it with Stacy, who's back, and Sydney, who's back. We're all on the front porch. I'm so glad you can kind of virtually sit with us. You might hear some ambient noise from Portland, Oregon. We're glad you're here with the Crows. Let's go. Hey, Sydney, it's been a while. What have you been up to lately? Well, I would say I'm most excited about my new job over at Jeff's school. I've been teaching floral design to the middle school kids, and it's been really fun. We did for the theme of October, Dia de los Muertos, and so I taught them how to make strand garlands of marigolds, and that was really good for my soul. That's probably the newest thing with me. I, I totally agree that one of the best ways to feel a little bit better is to do something where you're you're investing in, in somebody else. It's not like this obligatory thing, but more of just the the joy of seeing uh, somebody else just get a little little happier. In any case, today we're gonna we're gonna talk about this this dream book, and uh, and Stacy is finally back. As Stacy, you drove all the way down to to Santa Cruz. What would you say was the was the temperature? What was the what was the landscape like as you were driving back and forth from uh, that part of California to here? Like it was hard to see a lot of times when I was driving with the rain. That's that's right. I was thinking that it was like super super hot. I even wore a sweater when I was in Santa Cruz. Like at night and stuff, it got cold. I didn't even. That's funny. I didn't remember that because it's been hot. Like we we were hot today in the middle of October. In any case. I'm really having fun with this thing. You guys all helped me out. We did this this dream book that I had to do, and I was all panicking because I wanted to get it done on the weekend. But it was a it was a powerful experience. And here is the the conceit, friends. Here's the concept. It is a book where the kids were working on four different dreams or ways of thinking about dreams. And the theme for our school is transcendence. And so I just want to lay them out for you. Uh, first, they they looked at their own dream. In other words, who am I? Um, where am I going? What do I want to be? And so for this, it was uh, this idea of transcending your circumstances. We have our backstory. We have our nature and nurture. But uh, who do we want to be? What's our true self? Then the second question is related to nighttime dreams, actual dreams. And this takes us to something related to the psychology of Carl Gustav Jung. And Jung talked about this idea of the transcendent function. And for him, the transcendent function has to do with allowing your unconscious and your conscious mind to bridge a gap, to kind of reconnect and talk to each other. And they're able to do this through the, um, 
th- through the dream life. It, it's, a, it's a way of you letting down your guard and listening to parts of your mind that are thinking in non-literal ways. And uh, that's, that's a, a huge one that, that people will often talk about it and, and they realize it's important. Uh, and then we talked about collective dreams. What are the myths that guide us? What are the myths that actually inform the way we see the world? And are they helpful myths for us today? And then finally, uh, we talked about dreaming a better world, transcending the status quo, kind of like Martin Luther King Jr. saying, I have a dream, that kind of dream. Can you imagine a a society, a a world that is better than the one you're in? And so those were the kind of things that that we were kind of talking through. Now, uh, the first... The first thing, of course, is just important for everybody, and I'll just mention this, uh, that I you know, think it's a problem to go around and ask people what they want to be when they grow up or what they do for a living as if that's the only thing that matters. And so I always emphasize that with the kids. Like, that's not what I'm asking. So, uh, so I'm always asking, like, who are you? Like, what are the va- your values? Where do you see yourself being happy? Um, not just like, what do you want to do for a living? But then I just, I want to ask you both, Stacy, when you were like, I don't know, in fifth, sixth grade, what would you say at that time you wanted to be when you were 35, say? I think I wanted to be a teacher. I just, I remember like, you know, you like to play school. I don't know. That's what I did. I was most of my days. I just wanted to be a teacher. And you did that one time. Yeah. Yeah, it was actually, it was a lot of work, too. <laughs> it is a lot of work. I, I kind of find myself getting exhausted just by the the process of having to come up with ideas and, and, and then having to make sure that the kids don't lose focus. What would you say, Sydney, when you were a little guy, kid? So, for a while, I wanted to be a vet because I love animals, and then I realized there was, like, way too much sadness seeing them die, and I also don't think I could do surgeries Um, just with all the blood and that kind of stuff. I also wanted to be a social worker for a long time in my childhood, but then when I got older, I got kind of disillusioned with the whole system and how sometimes there's just a painful situation where there's nothing you can do, and I don't necessarily agree with how the system handles some of those situations. I think I wanted to be a rock star. (laughs) Or, of, of course, in 1986, I decided I wanted to be a uh, religion professor <laughs> to, uh, to kind of, I don't know, to subvert the thing that had caused me a lot of anxiety and trauma in fifth and sixth grade. So, you know, but one of the things I noticed with my kiddos is that I taught middle school 20 years ago, and then I'm teaching it again after a long hiatus, and I've noticed that the kids these days are a lot um, more competent when it comes to politics, um, social issues. They're just aware of the world in a way that, that the kids weren't because they've got the internet and there's a, there's a discourse going on that's, that's kind of broader than that what they had experienced, um, you know, when I was teaching back in like 1999. But what's, what's kind of weird though is that they almost never really had an idea of who they were or where they wanted to go. Like every kid in Philadelphia knew who they were and where they were going to go. Maybe their ideas were wrong. One wanted to be a basketball player. One wanted to be a mechanic. But everybody could answer that question kind of immediately. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we're not boxing people in. Well, I thought that was kind of interesting. 
Uh, but who is who's your true self? That's that's an important starting point. But of course, when we talk about dreams, the the, the biggest thing that's interesting is the the nighttime dreams and what they tell about our lives. And so again, Jung was saying, hey, um, this is uh, this is the way that you can talk to you. You're 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 so full of self destructive thinking in your mind because of your, your biases, um, your anxieties or whatever it is, but your dreams allow you to process almost like psychedelics or meditation. You're able to process things about your life that you're not allowing yourself to think about in your conscious state. So for this, I just wanted to, um, you know, get my dad to call in and, and share some of his dreams because my dad has had some of the most interesting dreams over the years, dreams that were kind of prophetic, dreams that when he told me what he was seeing uh, were things that were actually going on in the world, a really, really uncanny, spooky stuff. Um, um, we've got some audio from my dad. He did not actually leave me any audio about dreams, so we, we may still get that down the line in the future, but he does leave me some information about Jung and synchronicity. So we'll get to that in a second. But I wanted Sydney to just uh, share a little bit about her dream life, what's been going on, and uh, something that was powerful for her recently. Yes, so I had this dream when we were camping in the Delica, where um, I found a peacock feather. It was a really cool, super beautiful, huge, purple, blue, and green peacock feather. And I was so happy that I found it. And then I woke up, and it wasn't there. And I actually felt genuine sadness that I had lost the peacock feather. So Jeff told me to, you know, kind of do some research and look up the symbolism behind that meaning. So I didn't know this, but there is an association with um, Guan Yin being depicted on statues as riding a peacock. And it goes back to the Bodhisattva idea that um, so peacocks to sustain themselves, they consume poisonous plants, poisonous animals, things that would otherwise be deadly to other creatures. And they don't even care. They're not hesitating about it. So the bodhisattvas not only possess the ability to change evils they encounter into goodness, but run towards the opportunity to do so says those people who rush in to save the lives of others, who stop at nothing to help someone in need, who have patience in the face of anger and hate, and who love the unloved. Even at the step of everlasting freedom and joy, they turn away to help whoever needs them first. They are saviors because they know no difference between themselves and others. So the practice of the Bodhisattva is to do good deeds for others and expect nothing in return. They want to transform the world, or sorry, um, their practice is to transform the phenomenon of this world into that of one taste. They consume the bitterness, the poison of the world, and change it into goodness and love for everyone. They do this through wisdom, overcoming fear, anger, and all delusion, and never losing sight of their Buddha nature. Um, yeah, so I also looked up just the symbolism of the peacock feather in general, which it's interesting because it became a part of a lot of religious beliefs and rituals, but it symbolizes balance, beauty, third eye per perception, 
immortality, awakening, self-confidence, spirituality, resurrection, self-love, and leadership. So, I don't know, I kind of interpret this as, in my dream, it's a very pivotal point in my life where everything is changing around me. Um, It also represents the sun, from which all of life on Earth is sustained, and it has an association with immortality due to their ability to renew themselves by shedding their old feathers and growing new ones. So I kind of take it as a, a sign of personal growth or changing the way I think about life. Um, but anyway, so I thought that was interesting. It's also a good luck charm. They say if you tie a peacock feather around your neck, it protects you from all negative energies. I might start doing that. I dig it. I dig it. So, like, this is this is kind of part of the process. And so, dear listener, one of the reasons I wanted to, to jump in on this theme as we're reconnecting out here on the porch is so that you could consider doing the same thing. What do you need to learn from yourself as you're looking at this? Because we call, you know, Sydney baby Guan, and so she's able to make some connections. We've had a nice day bird watching. Um, of course, um, yeah, we saw, uh, we saw a little hummingbird. You want to mention something about yes. that? So one of the special little signs from the universe I think I get from Augie is not just any time I see a hummingbird, because I see them all the time. It's my spirit animal. I have a tattoo of one. But specifically, when the hummingbird will fly up to me and do this very showy dance that almost just feels, it gives me like a supernatural feeling, and I get the chills, and it just makes me smile, and I feel like it's still an affirmation that, you know, the spirits of your loved ones are out there and sending you good energy. Yeah, this is, this is going to actually come in handy with the next concept, which is uh, related to synchronicity. But before we go there, Stacey, do you have any, I, I do, I do not have a lot of dreams lately. Um, and, uh, and you're not, do you have any idea maybe why? I have some dreams. I just don't really remember them. And it's pretty mundane. Like, it's not like very, like, they don't really stand out, so I don't, I mean, I haven't really had, and then a lot of times I'm not dreaming at all. A lot of times I'm just staying up at night and I can't sleep. So I think I'm not to the point where I get enough rest that I get into the dream the world. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's part of it. Like not sleeping enough, your body doesn't go through the REM sleep cycle, so you actually won't have dreams. But um, one other side note that I thought was interesting is my dreams have been getting extremely sensory. I had a dream... I don't know what the hell this means, that I was eating a seafood stew with, like, scallops and shrimp, and I could literally taste it. Also dreams where I've been talking to people who I don't recognize, don't know at all in my life, that are complete strangers. I don't know what any of this means, but also just the fact that I've been able to hear things and smell things and, like, feel sensations in my dreams is also kind of interesting to me. (laughs) That's a new thing. Yeah, and I think I think Sydney's right. Like we we need to get our lives kind of dialed in, Stacy. Where we're not always just running from thing to thing. 
you know, you, you can sleep in just a little bit longer. You could, you know, do whatever. Um, but what we're going to hear from in a second is my dad not riffing on his dreams, which I was originally hoping he'd send us, but riffing on a uh, an interesting thing that happened uh, recently. My dad, unfortunately, has been in a home where my mom is kind of at the... Uh, the twilight of her uh, time here on this earth, along with a dog and a cat that were uh, dying. And uh, and the dog died. No, no, the cat died. My dad uh, is going to mention that. And then the, the dog died 24 hours later, just kind of uh, seeing that. So, you know, he's, he's having to deal with all that kind of by himself. And so um, his... Uh, his reflection on all this is going to relate to this Jung, Jungian concept uh, called synchronicity. Stacy, would you kind of uh, just share what that is about? Synchronicity is a concept first introduced by analytical psychologist Carl G. Jung to describe circumstances that appear meaningfully related yet lack a causal connection. Uh, in contemporary research, synchronicity experiences refer to one's subjective experience that coincides between events in one's mind and the outside world, maybe causally re- unrelated to each other, yet have some other unknown connection. Jung held that this was a healthy, even necessary function of the human mind that can become harmful within psychosis. So what, what he means is, like, if you, if you get to a spot where you're seeing a pattern of numbers in everything... That is sometimes a sign of, of you not being able to engage the world helpfully. But he said that, um, that there is actually a healthy way in which you're seeing patterns. Sydney is seeing uh, a pattern related to the, the flight of a bird or just birds showing up. Um, these themes that come up over and over, Stacy will read us you know, our cards in the morning and kind of playing that out. And then we see some of these things you know, turn up in the rest of our lives. So here is my dad and his kind of an encounter with the concept of breathing and kind of st- struggling through, you know, the, the, the work that he had to do to be caring for people at the end of their uh, people and animals um, at, that, at that end of their life uh, kind of moment. Uh, here it is. We'll come right back. Well, it started a few weeks ago. I, um, I, I'm into a breath meditation meeting and... Um, been doing some things on breath meditation. And um, one of the swamis that uh, had a um, YouTube I was watching suggested fasting on the four days before the full moon, which is a Hindu custom. So I don't know what got into me, but I decided I was going to fast. And I have never really fasted a whole day. In my life, I, I do intermittent fasting right now, which is a fad diet where you don't eat for, you, know, you only eat at noon and six o'clock and you don't eat anything for 18 hours. It's called intermittent fasting, which is kind of a fad right now. But I've never really fasted, but I, I don't know. I just started, okay, I'm going to fast. On the, so I go on my calendar and I see that the four days before the full moon is, is now, you know, today. So, uh, October 4th and October 5th. So, uh, um, okay, so I decide to fast. So I um, was reading uh, Eckhart Tolle's uh, Power of Now, and I came to uh, a chapter, and it said, being can be felt as the ever-present I am that is beyond name and form. To feel and thus to know that you are 
and to abide in that deeply rooted state of enlightenment. That is the state of enlightenment. Um, it just so happens I am the mantra that my my guru gave me in Colorado back in 1970 at the Montrose um, Festival. Guru Maharaj, isn't that funny? I am. So, okay, so I decide, wow, this is heavy. Uh, so I decided to put I am, and I looked up the Greek, and I uh, printed it out, and I put it in my uh, my special place in my prayer closet. And uh, so then I proceed to um, go on with my day. And... And so later in the day, I'm listening to a, a tape on uh, YouTube of Alan Watts, and uh, he mentioned that Jesus said that you are gods. And so, um, 82nd Psalm. So I, I go, wow, you know, I had just put up this in Greek on my uh, wall, I am. So then, oh, wow, this is, this is wild. Alan Watts says, referred to the 82nd Psalm. So I look at the 82nd Psalm, and it says that uh, Jesus said that uh, you are gods. It's in your law. And I also see that that Psalm is called the Psalm of Asaph. And I go, oh, my gosh, my son Jeff, that's the name of his old band. You know, I go, and I never knew that. I'm kind of an absent father. Jeff did his thing with the evangelicals. But anyway, um, wow, okay, so... I've got this on my wall, I am in Greek, and um, it's a statement, you know. So then my wife and I are watching television today, tonight, okay, and this just happened. And um, we're watching Mary Poppins Returns, which is it's kind of a heavy, heavy movie in a way, because some of the lyrics, some of the dialogue is amazing. The chimney sweep played by the guy that's Hamilton. Uh, he uh, he goes, when he sees Mary Poppins coming down out of the sky, he goes, well, as I live and breathe. And I'm, that, I kind of keyed in on that. Like, well, I heard that phrase, but wow, as I live and breathe. And I was starting to think breath, breath meditation, life, you know. Wow, that's really heavy. I haven't heard that phrase in a long time. So then, just now this evening, my wife and I decided to watch uh, Top Gun, the movie with Tom Cruise. And by gosh, if these Marines weren't talking, and the one guy goes, as I live and breathe, and oh, wow. Okay, that's two. And things happen in three on the, on the, uh, in the fourth dimension. I'm going, okay. <laughs> and by gosh, if in the same movie, twice in the same movie, Top Gun, somebody says, as I live and breathe. So, that synchronicity, there you go, just happened to me. So the statement, I am a son of God in Greek, is staring me in the face. And I said, well, let me check out on the dictionary. Where does that expression come from? And per the dictionary, it says, the expression used, uh, the, the expression is used to emphasize the truth of a statement since the 1600s. It's been a phrase that has been used to emphasize the truth of a statement. So I've put the expression, I am a son of God, in Greek, on my prayer wall. And um, 
I decided to uh, check up in the dictionary where that expression might come from. So I, I look it up on Google, and it says it's an expression used in the 1600s, since the 1600s, to emphasize the truth of a statement. So there's your synchronicity. I am a son of God. I'm writing this down, and all of a sudden, the fourth dimension pops through and says, okay, here's three instances of an expression used since the 1600s. You haven't heard that expression in years, and you just heard it three times today. And uh, that statement, I am a son of God, Jesus is right. It's true. You are God. So that happened to me today. So this is an auspicious day, October 4th and October 5th. And... Uh, I'm fasting, and I haven't fasted ever, or if I have, it's been years for a day, and I'm doing it, right? Because this Swami said four days before the full moon. So then I see today is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is celebrated by fasting from sunset to sunrise. I mean, or, I mean, come on. What you, what's going on here? You know, it's, it's like, woo, woo, you know, it's Yom Kippur, a day of fasting, and you're fasting for the first time in years, and you didn't even know that uh, today was Yom Kippur. So this is all tying in. It's been kind of like a, a very auspicious day, and that's the connection with the uh, fasting. And um, there you go. Yeah, I just wanted to tell you just a little synchronicity story that just happened. Uh, uh, the family cat um, died peacefully in her sleep this morning, and we were on the uh, in the living room, and uh, the cat was on the couch in a blanket. And um, your sisters came over and uh, were kind of petting her and everything as she she made the transition. And we're in the living room, and right next to the living room is my patio where I have a beautiful garden. And one of my my prized possessions is a little sage that I've made into a cascading style bonsai, kind of a memorial. I call it the, my Joshua tree. Anyway, I'm standing in the center of the living room looking at my daughters um, uh, petting the cat on the couch. And on the other side, and my left, I look at my patio and I look at my Joshua tree in the garden and I'm getting teary-eyed, you know, I'll be honest, you know. Uh, real men can cry, I guess, and I, you know, start crying a little bit. So I remembered uh, my breath meditation that I, I just kind of been focusing on the past few months. Uh, Eckhart Tolle's wife does a beautiful, quick breath meditation in which she suggests count to four. Breathe in, two, three, four. Breathe out, two, three, four. And just be aware of your breath. Follow your breath, you know, which is what uh, the Tibetan and Hindus uh, use, too. And so at any rate, I'm getting teary-eyed, and I didn't want to – my little granddaughter was in the room. I didn't want to upset her. So I said, you know, I looked out, and I looked at my Joshua tree, and I said, you know, let's just do a four-count four breath. In, two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four. And I'm looking out, and right next to the sliding door, looking out of my patio, is a large big screen television. And I put Sesame Street on for my granddaughter. And uh, right next to 
the patio glass looking out to the patio, looking at the tree, is the screen. And I see out of the corner of my eye a kindergarten teacher looking at the camera, full face on, and said, let's count to four. One, space, two, and then the numbers come up on the screen, big numbers. They're teaching kids how to do nothing. Three, and I go, dear Lord, if she stops at four, I'm calling Jeff. Four. There you go, synchronicity. So, Stacy, is this is this like a, a a rare thing for my pops? I mean, how would you characterize um, the way he sees the world uh, generally when we when we chat? I, don't, I mean, he always just tells us like weird stories and dreams usually, but I mean, I don't know. Yeah, he finds certain things, connections, and meaning of things. Yeah, I think he's like the king. I would say he's the king of synchronicity of people that I know. Uh, Second most common person to talk about synchronicities, definitely Sydney, and then the third probably me, um, just in terms of, of like me seeing these things. Well, so just I feel like numbers in general. I always have the same numbers come up repeatedly: um, sevens, threes, twenty sevens, twenty threes, and so I just I notice that, and I don't know. Sometimes it's some sort of wink from the universe. I feel. And I can't always explain it, but it's the repetition of those numbers. Like, um, for example, 23's been coming up a lot for me. So I've been meeting a lot of people by happenstance who have uh, had a loved one in an accident when they were 23. And so that's been coming up. I mean, it's literally two or three different people who have said that specific thing to me. So that's just, you know, kind of striking to me. Um, I had a good friend whose apartment was number seven, and that was my apartment number. And also we watched the same series that Augie and I really love, Twin Peaks. And in that show, there was a kind of mystical experience with the hotel room number seven. And so the whole thing, it's just little things like that stick out to me. So now if you, if you take that and, and, and you'll hear people saying this, you say, oh, no, well, it's just a coincidence. Um, I don't think Jung cares whether it's a coincidence or not. I think what he's interested in is what my dad was able to do was to kind of piece things together. And as you kind of caught the, um, the mystical side of what my dad was saying, uh, he is kind of bringing about this idea that the reason we are loving towards each other, the reason why the, the bodhisattva cares about other beings that are suffering is because they recognize that they're, they're connected. In other words, what to me synchronicity is about is helping us understand a motivation for ethics. We're not trying to be good people out of fear of punishment or hope of reward. We're not trying to be good people through willpower. You love because you see the truth. And the truth there, um, however you want to word it, I think is what my dad was experiencing um, and, and recognizing with this idea that um, that we are interconnected and that we are the namaste. It's like we're kind of winking at each other and the universe is, is winking back. Um, and so like when, when, when Stacy's doing yin yoga or something with somebody and they say namaste, you could take that to be just a cute, you know, kind of cultural thing. Um, but I think in many ways, whether it's Rumi or the... Uh, 
Epictetus or uh, Jesus, the, the mystics, uh, the Taoists and the Buddha, um, that, that recognizing that interconnection, that you are the power of the presence. Um, with that in mind, no matter how much um, suffering we have uh, going on in this life, uh, we do wish you all the best. And of course, peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Because you found this letter low too much.